This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi and a good afternoon to you. It's wonderful to be in your company once again. And isn't it amazing just how the weather has changed, how things seem to be, although we got to say we didn't have much of a winter this year, um, how things seem to be in that uh, run-up to Rosh Hashanah kind of feeling. In fact, it almost feels like... Erev Yom Kippur, Erev Sukkot kind of weather. Um, Probably we would have to be seeing a few rain clouds around thinking about Sukkot, but it seems to be um, that we are really, really getting close. It is um, really time for us to do some long and hard thinking, introspection, as we've been speaking about over the last couple of weeks. And uh, perhaps today, just to spend some time focusing on one Dimension. We mentioned last week three different dimensions, and perhaps we're going to address them each separately. Today, the dimension of interpersonal relationships. Um, the thought struck me some time ago and um, brought to the fore again this week in preparing and thinking about um, what I was going to share with you today. That, you know, if we take a look at the Torah itself, it has many overt messages, and it has many messages that are hidden, hidden messages within the Torah. People have tried, and many, many different methods have been used to unlock the hidden secrets in the Torah. There is a immense study of Torah from a mystical point of view, where we're talking about hidden things within the Torah. There are hidden codes in the Torah, and we all know about the deciphering of different codes within the Torah. But there are certain things that are a little bit more explicit, but yet they too are hidden. And one has to perhaps go out of one's way in order to be able to really think about them, to find them, and to truly understand them. It was always sort of the old-fashioned um calculation, I guess, or request or question that people asked when you were coming forward to them or uh, speaking to them about a particular mitzvah, and people wanted to know exactly where is it written in the Torah? Where does that appear in the Torah? Well, in truth, there is a tremendous amount of Judaism that is not in the scriptures, that is not written there in detail in chapter and verse. There is a lot that is expounded upon in the oral Torah. There is a lot that comes from great and wonderful tradition. And there is a lot that I guess Torah assumes a little bit of common sense. Torah doesn't always go out of its way to be absolutely explicit. And therefore, to begin with, I would actually like to start today by talking to you about the very last word of the Torah. We all know, I think the majority of us know the very first word. We learned that probably in pre-1A or in grade 1, Bereshit, Barai Lokim, in the beginning. The first word of the Torah is Bereshit, in the beginning. When we think about the last word, well, that one's a little less common, I guess, because in grade 1 we didn't get that far and we didn't get to the end. Um, we only started at the beginning, and perhaps it is because the majority of us never really get to the end of uh, any of Torah learning because learning really just keeps on compounding and the learning is so immense and so vast that it is very difficult to actually complete anything and therefore a great and grand celebration when one does complete a tractate, a segment, a book and so on of the Torah. 
But we do, and we're going to at the end of the Torah reading on Simchat Torah this year, as with all years, we're going to conclude with three words that say, Le'enei kol Yisrael. So there you have it. The last word of the Torah is the word Israel, Yisrael. It is an amazing word, and we know that Yisrael is an emotional word. It's emotive as well. It is something that really strikes a chord in each and every Jew, not only in terms of our holy land, but in terms of the name that was given to our people, in terms of the name that was given to us that we inherited from our forefather Jacob when he fought with the angel who was trying to unseat him, trying to uproot him, trying to uh, distance him from his holiness, from his Kedusha. And he strove with the angel and he was triumphant. And he was then awarded that name, Yisrael, which means Kisarita Imelokim Vatukal. He actually fought with the angel and he won. And when we think about the power of that name, it's a powerful name. It's a positive name. It's a name that we identify with and that we love so much. And it's with pride that we say we're part of Am Yisrael, the Jewish people of Bnei Yisrael, the children of Israel. But the word Yisrael is interpreted by our sages as actually being a, let's call it a mnemonic. It is a word that is concocted, that is made up of a number of other words. In other words, it stands for something else. Now, at the end of each parsha in the Torah, if you're using a reasonable chumash, you will probably find that at the end it will give you a little postscript um, in small letters where it says that there are so many verses in this parasha, in this sedra, in this portion of this week, and that adds up in a numerical way to a certain composed word. And the word is usually composed and thought about as really capturing the essence of what that parsha, of what that um, whole precursor uh, to it is actually all about. And similarly, we're told, if we think about it, the word Yisrael, which is the last word in the Torah, can be interpreted as being some kind of a made-up word that is comprised of a number of other words, and those words say the following. Yesh, Shishim, Ribu, Otiot, La Torah. Repeat it. Yesh, Shishim, Ribu, Otiot, La Torah. Which means there are 600,000 letters in the Torah. And wow. We take a look at that and we think of the fact that when the Jewish people were first counted as they were about to stand at the foot of Mount Sinai, there were 600,000 men. And so what is God telling us? He wrote a letter in the Torah for each individual. We're represented in the Torah by a letter. And each letter is as important as the next because in the Torah itself, the letters um, are each primarily um, 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 significant. One of them is missing. The whole Torah is affected. If there is one that is cracked, if there's one that's rubbed out, if there's one that's incorrectly scribed, the whole Torah is what we call pasul. It's pasul. It is unfit for use in a shul. It is unfit for use to be read from um, on a regular basis. And therefore, until it is fixed, that Torah is set aside. And similarly with our people. Our people is incomplete if there is one individual who may have something wrong, something missing, or if that person himself is missing from within the Jewish people. And yeshishim ribu otiot la Torah 
is therefore significant in that it links us with the numbers of letters in the Torah in this beautiful way. But there is a problem. I don't know how many of you have actually sat down and counted all the letters in the Torah. It's an awesome task. If you do, um, I wish you well. But um, interestingly enough, you're going to find that there aren't 600,000 letters in the Torah. So what does it actually mean? Why state something that is factually incorrect, that is factually not true? Um, there are actually over 300,000 letters in the Torah, but not 600,000. So why did they say 600,000? Specific. Yesh shishim ribu otiot la Torah. Is the whole thing a little bit of a bluff? Is it just semantics? Are we trying to be clever? We'll be back with you after this with uh, some interesting answers. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. The letters in the Torah, or uh, perhaps why it is that at the end of the Torah we have that word Yisrael and we're told that it stands for Yeshishim Ribu Otiot La Torah. There are 600,000 letters in the Torah. Well, the answer actually lies in the fact that there are some letters that are written in ink and there are some letters that in fact are blank. There are certain restrictions or certain rules about the way that a scribe has to scribe a Torah as with tefillin and mezuzot and so on. There are certain indentations. There are certain places where gaps have to be left. There are certain places where there are gaps between books. There are gaps between words in some of the parshas in the way that it is structured. Certain rules and regulations. And in fact, we're told that if you take all the written letters and you add them to all the gaps, you actually get 600,000. And what is perhaps one of the important messages of this beautiful idea is that while there may be certain letters in the Torah that are bold, that are written, that are there, and that are as, let's call it with modern terminology in your face, as uh, they could ever be, there are certain things that are not so blatant. There are certain things that are not so out there. There are certain things that are not put into actual words. But it's understood that that is the sense of what the Torah wants from us. And we learn as much, perhaps, from the gaps as we do from the written letters. There is a sense of what Torah desires, what Torah wants from us. And Torah has a commentary to make on certain things even without making it, even without saying it specifically. There's a Torah commentary and a Torah that needs to be followed in our daily lives in certain realms where perhaps we are missing the letters, where perhaps we think that either everybody should know it because it's common sense or because it's not there, we're not going to do it. And that's certainly not the way that we as Jews are supposed to study our Torah, understand our Torah, and live according to this incredible way of life that the Torah dictates for us, that the Torah wants us to do. And it springs to mind um, when one thinks about um, some of the modern applications and some of the modern uses and abuses of languages, of letters, and perhaps, yes, of course, in our modus operandi in modern-day communication. And as much as one applies or thinks about the fact that there are certain letters that are written and there are certain that are missing and the missing ones are all important, 
so too in messages that are written perhaps where one is limited for words, an SMS, um, even an email, or um, any other kinds of modern communications, WhatsApp, um, etc. The possibility exists, and of course it happens all the time, that you will say things there that weren't 100% intended because you're leaving out punctuation and all the niceties, that it can come across as being a harsh comment when you didn't mean it that way. And there are certain newfound restrictions and difficulties that we have in this new mode of communication. I've said it here before, I'm going to say it again, that as a rabbi in a modern world where sometimes you're called upon to um, help, to counsel, to um, guide perhaps people who have run into certain problems in their relationships, in their marriages, or between parents and children, or between brothers and sisters. Usually today, the very first thing, I've noticed this certainly, I wonder if there are any others out there who will identify with what I'm going to tell you. Usually the first thing that I hear in my office is all about the cell phone. They talk about he SMS this, she WhatsApp that. I found this on his cell phone. He found that on mine. Um, what did he intend by this? Look at this. He used a word there that he would never use talking to me directly, but yet it was quite easy for his fingers just to type it on the cell phone. And sometimes, yes, it's even an autocorrect um, that has done the job for us and sometimes goes out of its way to confuse and really combust this kind of um, um, attitude. But, yes, it's not always the autocorrect that you can blame. It's very often and most usually the fact that we haven't been careful with the in-between letters. How will, this be, how, will this, how will this come across? How will it be read? I've often thought about the fact that it would be a wonderful invention if somebody could really invent for modern use um, some kind of a time delay where you could sort of put your message into a slow outbox um, where it will be sitting there for a while and that you'll have a good opportunity to think it over, to perhaps um, even test it out on somebody else as to how they would read this message, and then to stop it, to cancel it before it is sent. Um, because very often it's reactionary, very often it's off the cuff, and very often it gets a message across. Oh, yes, it certainly does. But it's not necessarily the intended message. It's not done with the intonation that you wanted. And um, very often it can come out to be the most hurtful, the most difficult, and uh, the completely wrong message. It's a wrong way to communicate. It has taken out any of the privilege of what it is that we as a human race and we as Jews are supposed to hold as valuable and keep close to our hearts and make sure that we behave accordingly. If you think about it, um, Certainly, Hasidic philosophy goes at length to differentiate between the different worlds of the things that God created. We have four worlds. World number one is the world, or let's go from the bottom rather up. World number one, bottom of the pile, is the inanimate world, the earth, the stones, the rocks, water, and so on. We go to world number two, where we speak about plant life, vegetation. Um, plants, trees, um, they do have, they do grow, 
and um, they certainly are very beautiful, and they provide food and so on, but they do not have a life force. They don't have souls. We then go and we move up the chain to the world of the animal, where an animal now has a life, and it has a growth, and it is animated. But higher than them all is something that we call madaber, which is man. Man has and is accentuated and is differentiated from all the others in that he has the power of medaber. He's a speaker. He has the ability to speak. And we have forgotten, I think, very often, the importance and the relevance of the voice, of the fact that we're gifted with this ability to speak, to talk to each other. Um, Within the voice, one can detect emotion. Within the voice, one can detect feeling. Within the voice, one can um, actually immediately respond and get the person on the other end of the line to reply. And very often, some of these things that may be said in exactly the same words as they've been typed or they've been sent on an SMS, on WhatsApp and so on, it may come across as completely different because it's got that in-between stuff. It's got the rhythm between the letters and it's got the intonation, the emotion and all the feelings that are only expressed within the human voice. And yes, it's not always possible to speak to everybody all the time. And yes, we have these wonderful and great and incredible new inventions of how to communicate. But we dare not replace the ways of communication that we are gifted with of um, just plain pretty human interaction of talking to each other of hearing voices of hearing the voices of the ones that you love around you we dare not replace that with the modern inventions and the modern ways of communication which are destroying communication as we know it they destroyed already all the niceties you no longer have to say um, dear and hello and goodbye you just get straight to the point there's no you're sincerely on an SMS. There's no I love you uh, type of thing. It may just be represented by a little graphic, an emoji, a picture. We lost something. We've lost a tremendous amount. And we've lost the ability to actually communicate with each other. Well, the gift of Shabbat gives us that all back um, for a time, for a while. But I don't know if you've noticed. I've certainly noticed that people more and more, have become um, ADD. They've become all over the place. Um, and even on Shabbat, it is affecting the way that people behave. Um, they're no longer able, I think, the majority of people, to concentrate for the amount of time as they used to be able to. I'm not sure, and I'm not in the classroom as a teacher, I'd imagine it's affecting our kids, that um, everything is all over the place. We are worried about the latest email. We're worried about the latest SMS. What if I got a message right now on WhatsApp? What if something happened on Twitter that I happened to miss? We are being pulled in so many different directions, and nobody yet has written the book um, on how to control it all, on how to actually behave with all of these things, and we're becoming a little bit out of control. People are behaving incorrectly towards each other. We're ignoring people when they talk to us without any real malice, without really wanting to ignore them. But we don't realize how caught up we are in what these incredible service providers 
of communication have actually stolen from us what they have taken away from the niceties and the good things that you and I are supposed to have in our way of communication um, between ourselves and each other. You think about uh, I was uh, on my way here actually today and watched in amazement um, a gentleman who was doing the wrong thing. Yes, of course, I'm not going to read out his uh, license plate number on the air, but um, he was driving particularly badly, um, slow in the right-hand lane. Um, and, of course, you can guess when you're behind him to know that he's actually engrossed in a cell phone conversation. And, yes, he was, yeah, this particular fellow, of course, uh, trying to sort of half keep the law just in case there's a cop around the corner. Um, he did not have the phone right up to his ear. He was holding it sort of in front of him and actually looking at it as he was driving. But at the same time, so I'm not sure if it was a FaceTime kind of a call, but he was actually looking at it and at the same time driving his motor car. He was so completely engrossed in what he was doing on that phone that he was absolutely, totally oblivious to the traffic he was holding up. He was oblivious to where he was driving. He was completely oblivious to the entire world out there. So the driving goes into override and becomes something that we do by rote. He knows how to control the uh, the foot pedals, the steering wheel, uh, the gear shift, and so on. But he was completely engrossed in this phone call. It took him completely away. Now, you and I have noticed that with everybody, with people, with your loved ones, with your dearly beloveds, with your uh, partners, with your children, with your parents. When engrossed in uh, the computer, when engrossed in uh, the cell phone, we are transported to a different world. You know, this was something that as parents and psychologists and anybody who was concerned about it um, was concerned that children would be transported away from reality by television, that uh, they didn't have the ability actually to differentiate between what was going on the TV screen and what was real life. An inability to do that led to kids acting out what they saw on television. Television became their reality. Um, and of course, uh, there's a lot that's been written about it that the average child has witnessed so many thousands of murders, so much violence, so much uh, of that sort of stuff that they have seen, albeit on television, but it becomes part of their reality. They believe that they've actually seen it. They've actually been there because it's so embedded and ingrained in their uh, psyche. Well, think about adults today. And perhaps it's because, again, we are not yet fully au fait with um, the ways that these things should be used and utilized properly, and we're using them all wrong. But we become so totally engrossed in um, our emails or our cell phones or our uh, WhatsApp messages that we are completely unaware of what's going on around us. Our children could be calling out for our help, and we're ignoring them. Our spouses are asking us for um, some friendship, some communication, some real words of love, and we're not there to hear it. We're not hearing it. We're not hearing them. We are completely transported away, and we are guilty like the children um, that we were so worried about, I think, as adults of um, moving away from a real reality, getting ourselves into a world that is... Perhaps you might tell me it's completely real because it's all about business and it's all about this and it's all about that. But um, we've lost all those boundaries. No longer is there a boundary of home. No longer is there a boundary of work. No longer is there a boundary of shul or of uh, school or of anything like that. We've broken them all down. 
And many might be sitting out there and saying, wow, what a good thing. We've actually done this, and it's incredible, and it is incredible. But we haven't yet come to terms with exactly how we should put this all into play. And because of that, I believe, we're not reading the in-between letters in the Torah, which tell us that we always need to communicate. We need to speak to each other. We need to express our love to each other. We need to be real. We need to use our opportunity to talk um, to each other, to listen to each other, and to respond and to reply. We need all of that, failing which we are in for some uh, dramatic, dramatic difficulties with our children, with a future generation, because we have lost sight of uh, the reality that could just explode upon us if we don't deal with it well and we don't deal with it quickly. We'll be back with you after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Back to our topic of uh, talking about um, interpersonal relationships. And, of course, I've uh, spent some time focused particularly on modern forms of communication and how I believe they're letting us down. They're letting us down in our relationships and they're letting us down in the niceties and how Torah sends us some hidden messages of just how important it is to have that communication, how important it is if you think about it. So our sages and uh, the Torah itself, of course, had in mind the fact that there would be a time when people wouldn't be able to get off their um, mechanical and technological devices. And therefore, it was necessary to imprint and embed and implant into our lives the concept of Shabbat and Yom Tov, where all of these things are taboo, where we're not allowed to utilize them. But we've got to make sure that we respect the idea of certain places and spaces where they are just as taboo, where they are just as no-go zones. In fact, there are many um, a sage who has written of late, recently, the concept um, of taking a phone call while you are learning Torah, and they have compared it to Chilul Shabbat, to the breaking of Shabbos. The concept of taking a phone call while you're learning or while you're teaching is compared to breaking Shabbos. You are embedded in and you are put into and we are surrounded by an environment that is completely holy for those few minutes that we spend in prayer, for those few minutes perhaps that we spend in um, a study session that we're spent, that we're spending studying Torah. We need to focus. We need to focus on what that is all about, understanding and realizing that that is far more important than uh, any cell phone call or any, um, of course, if, unless you're a Hatzala responder or a doctor and so on. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about someone who ha- gets a life-saving kind of a call or a life-threatening kind of a call. We've got to make sure that we understand those parameters and that those are communicated by our behavior to our children. What kind of an atmosphere do we create when we see that our kids come into that kind of holy, respectful environment and they notice that we are completely unfocused, that we're on our cell phones, that we're on our uh, WhatsApp, Twitter, um, emails, uh, Googling, going on the Internet, whatever it is that we may be doing from our handheld devices, are we not doing them the biggest disservice of all? Um, in our inability and in our lack of knowledge as to how these things need to be used. And so therefore, perhaps, 
point number one, really, and the solid idea that I would like to get across to you today is that as Jews, we have a social responsibility. We are called Israel not only because because we strove with the angel and we triumphed, but perhaps it's also because we have the ability to overcome the negative impulses within ourselves. We have the ability and that proud part of us called our neshama, our soul, or our yetzatov, our good inclination, that we can overcome the negative. We need not succumb to all of these temptations. And here we have these small little tests that keep on coming up to us. They're not inscribed in the Torah. Nowhere in the Torah itself does it say that you should not be sending or receiving a WhatsApp message during your uh, evening prayers. But it does tell us that um, we as Jews have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to our children. We have a responsibility to each other. We have a responsibility with everything that we do to understand how it may and it could impact on other people. And if we would only live our lives thinking about that one thought whenever and with whatever we do, we would be making a completely different world. We'd be living a completely different life. If we paused to be able to, as I said before, put the message in the outbox, delay its sending, not send it if we feel that it's not going to communicate the right message. If we just can hit the pause button on a tremendous amount of the things that um, we are involved with and that we do without thinking of the impact on others. Ever thought about the fact that if your cell phone rings in shul, it's not only disturbing you, it's disturbing the people around you. If you take that call, how much worse? If you're not focused on it, um, what are people thinking? Are you participating? Have you now not let down the rest of the minion? What about if you are um, speaking to your child or your dearly beloved or anybody um, and you get a message and you now become um, unfocused? It happens so often. People are sitting and it's an amazing thing. And we probably will get over this one day, but everybody seems to apologize by telling you that, oh, I should have turned it off or um, I don't know how to turn it off or oops, I oh, it just won't go off. People make all those kind of excuses when they're embarrassed at the fact that the phone rings or that it actually that they get a message or it starts beeping at a time when they have actually made an appointment to see you. They're taking up of your valuable time and um, <coughs> they are then distracted. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it does sidetrack the conversation. You suddenly lose your train of thought. You're not quite sure where you were up until then. You're waiting for them to turn off the device and um, another thought pops into your head and you can't finish the one that you were busy with. It is a terrible, terrible disservice that we're doing to each other. And let's think of the impact on each other before we do anything. And by um, osmosis or by transference of um, this idea and this ideal, if we could just start thinking about correcting that kind of behavior within ourselves, we'd be doing that service not only for ourselves but for others. We'd be setting examples that others would be able to follow, and it would undoubtedly impact on all sorts of other modes of communication and ways of behavior when we're just mindful of other people, when we're just thinking about the impact, when we are concerned with how the message will be read and therefore do not send it. When we are not so caught up in the new wave of having to be so mod and so with it 
that we are on everything and we see every message on Facebook and every message on Twitter and um, we are really out there and involved and so youthful and so young. It sometimes has very, very dire and difficult consequences um, that we haven't even thought through, that we haven't even thought about. So just the mindfulness, just the ability to think about each other a little bit more in this realm will undoubtedly impact on all other realms. And hopefully it will lead us to a true understanding of what we mean when we say that um, in these days, in the days of Elul and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we need to be involved much more with what we call tzedakah. Tzedakah, as I mentioned last week, is not only about putting coins into a charity box or feeding the, the poor. It's about acts of goodness and acts of kindness, of good deeds, of good things that we do and we need to do for each other. It begins with being mindful of each other. It begins with being concerned with each other. It begins by thinking about some of these not so boldly mentioned messages within the Torah. Perhaps don't look at the hard and fast letters, but let's look at the gaps. I want to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead. I look forward to being back with you. Same place, same time uh, next week on Judaism 101.9.